Well, good morning again. Good morning. Glad you guys are all here. Try this microphone out. Maybe you guys can hear me a little bit better. Slowly get this figured out. We get a little higher up, closer to my mouth. Uh, everybody should have gotten a paper from Rhett. With a, if you didn't get one, raise your hand. Rhett will bring you one real quick. It's the the verses that we've been memorizing. We're going to work on memorizing. So as we get ready to go back to school, we'll get some homework. Hey, Rhett, do you have some extras? Miss Karen didn't get one. Um, so we got back to school coming up here pretty soon. For Sorry to burst your guys' bubbles. To, to give you homework and ahead of time. Um, so as a family, we've been talking with the back-to-school stuff coming as I teach and I do bus driving. So not to alarm you guys, but next week I'll probably start wearing a mask as we come in because I don't know what kind of stuff I'm going to get from the students that I'll be hanging around with all day. So as I look at precautions, protect my family, protect you guys as I'm around people. So it's not a statement saying that everyone here has to wear one. If you feel comfortable, wear one. Do it. If not, you can go with how you guys feel on that. But just so you know, that way you don't alarm. When I come in next week and I have a mask on and wearing like to see sick, hopefully I'm not. It's more about trying to keep my family safe and keep you guys safe along with it. Um, so just a heads up on that. So as we work on this memory verse, did we have a chance to kind of look over them some this week or think about them at least? And now that we have a paper, we can all be on the same page, right? Uh, so let's read the first two verses. And uh, so let's read the first three together. And then so we can have those kind of memorized for next week. And we'll say it all together next week. How's that sound? So verse one, James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. If you can just memorize those three verses and keep them in your heart and ponder them as you go through the day, it's going to get you through a lot of trials when you can think about that. Just those short three verses we've discussed and as we've gone over through verse 9 the last couple of weeks, we've really gotten to see kind of God's working through this passage in James. And there's a lot of good nuggets. I, I listened to a guy talk today, so this is the Proverbs of the New Testament. So lots of good nuggets, good wisdom, and good thought processes as we go through this book. Um, so today we are going to look at James 1, 9 through 11. So let me read those to you real quick. Says the brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, and the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up through the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we can come before you with humble hearts and to know that you are God and we are not. We know that you are in control of all things in our lives 
and we don't really have a whole lot of control over what, what goes on around us, Father. But we can just put our trust in you. So as I pray, as we study your word today, Father, that we would just put our hearts towards you and focus our eyes upon you, that we can learn and, and obey you in everything you call us to do. We praise you. Amen. So first thing we have to look at, it talks about two different types of people here, rich people and poor people. And so as I thought about rich and poor, what is rich? What is poor? How do we define those things? Because as I think about it, some people we think are poor might be rich depending on where they're at. Some of, our, some of the poorest people in America would be super rich in other countries. But then we look at what's the definition of rich. And we, can all, we all kind of have our own idea what rich is, but I bet if we put a, no, a number figuring out where we become rich, I bet all our numbers are different. They did a study a few years back and they surveyed people about what is rich and how much money it would take to be rich and looked at, and then asked how much money they had. And what's funny is, is the, the more money people had, the farther away the definition of being rich was, the higher the number was. Nobody ever felt like they were rich enough. There was still something greater to gain financially. So even the millionaires had a level that would make them rich. They weren't rich yet at a million. The billionaires, they had a higher number that would make them rich. And we think that's crazy. But in our own lives, do we say we're rich? Or do we still consider ourselves poor? And so as we look at defining that, the other way I look at rich and poor, I feel like I'm rich because I'm a child of Christ. A child of God, right? I consider poor people the ones that don't have that salvation. Right? So there's another way we can define rich and poor. So here in this passage, he's talking mainly, when we talked about he's talking to mainly Christians who are coming from the Jewish faith there in Jerusalem. So he's talking a little bit more on the financial side. So he's talking to people who are already Christians, who are already followers. So as we look at the, the financial side of it on this, that's kind of what I look at. But remember, rich and poor is a moving line. It's not an exact science of what we consider rich and what we consider poor. Uh, in the economy day, we, we hear about the 1%, right? That's the kind of the hated group. But they may not even consider themselves rich in some ways because there's always more that they want to gain. So as we look at James 1.9, look at the poor first. Says the brother, the brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. Exaltation is defined by a high position. So the, the poor should boast in his high position. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? They should boast in the fact that he has a high position. So, as I thought about that, like, what does that mean? Like, he's not high; he's lowly because he's poor. But if he's a child of Christ, that means he's been adopted by God. And so just because he's poor in finances doesn't mean he's poor in God's terms, in God's eyes. He has the earth laid before him. And it says he should boast. So what's boast? He should be joyful or glad 
without being arrogant. Right? So there's a difference in boasting in what God's giving you and being arrogant in what God gives you. And we've seen people that, that are arrogant in the things they have. They put themselves loftier above other people because that arrogance is to overtake them. But you can be joyful in what God's done for you and still be following God's plan. So when God does something great in your life, you can be joyful and boast about it. But you got to be careful not to let it be something you did and feel like it's something that you're in control of in the arrogance side of it. So I thought serving God has nothing to do with having the most to give God. Right? Serving God has nothing to do with what you have, what, if, what the most you have to give God. You have nothing to give God, which in all honesty, none of us have anything to give back to God. We have nothing that he craves or desires other than our worship towards him. He has everything. If he doesn't have it or wants it, he can create it at a snap of a finger, right? So we are all poor in that way that we have nothing that we can give to God. But so often, the poor and the needy are overlooked by the church. They're overlooked in that they can't do a whole lot for the church at times. Which is kind of sad that we can kind of look at people like that. That we look at people who are poor don't have much, but we, and we just kind of overlook them because they don't really have a whole lot to offer us as a church. And I'm not talking specifically here, but the church as a whole in the global terms of things. So while they're overlooked by the church, they're not overlooked by God. God has plans for them. God still loves them. He still wants them to be his child. In Romans 6, 8, 16 through 17, I'm talking about being a child of Christ. So the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we also be glorified with him. Okay, so we, so that's God's reminding us that we're heirs in Christ. We're heirs through Christ into God's family. And I think we kind of at times overlook what that really means for us. What it means to be adopted into God's family. I think we just kind of say it and we just kind of let it just kind of flow off our mouth like that's a natural thing. Adoption is a special thing in our, in our lives. So when I was nine, we adopted my sister. She wasn't just somebody who came into the family and was just there. She became a part of the family. Everything my parents had was hers. We shared it together. There was no differentiation of this is the family stuff and this is your stuff as the adopted child. We don't even look at it as a terms of adoption. She is my sister because we adopted her. And God does that for us. God says, you're my child. You're a co-heir with Christ. And it's crazy to think of it in that way, that, that we're not just this lowly, per, lowly creature anymore once we get saved and God's called us into his family. We are now a brother of Jesus. We are there and we get to be alongside him and worship God in heaven for eternity with our brothers and sisters 
but are also adopted. So the poor in Christ should boast in their life because they are loved by God. I mean, God chose us. He wants us to be a part of his family. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do, through, do all things through him who strengthens me. This is Paul talking. And he said, I have learned to be content with what I have. Whether I am poor, whether I am rich, I am content in what God has given me. I can do all things through what God gives me. Now that last verse, Philippians 4.13, I think it gets misused more than probably any verse in the Bible. We think of it when we, whenever people say that they're thinking of sports and I can win the game because God gives me strength. That's not what that's, this verse is talking about. This is in terms of what God wants me to do. He's going to give me the strength to walk through what I need to go through. These trials that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we can walk through them, not because we are good enough to, but because God's going to give us the strength to walk through those. God's going to strengthen us as we go through those tough times. It may not be easy, but God's going to walk us through that slowly. He may not give us all kinds of money to take care of it, but he's going to take care of it. It may just be barely, or what we think is just barely being done, but God will take care of those things because we're his child. In all honesty, as a believer, as I've walked through life, I have learned more in my times of need about who I am in Christ than I have in my times of plenty. When I've been in my times of plenty, I've not relied on God to walk me through things. But in my times of need, I had to go to Him. I had to humble myself and I had to boast that, he, that I am His child and let Him take care of me. So, the, so that's the poor side, which really isn't that bad of a side to be on, right? It's not too bad to be poor and have God take care of you and love you and give you all that you need and all that you could ever need because you're his child. So on the rich side, starting in James 1, 10 and 11, it says, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. So humiliation. What is humiliation? That's We don't like to be humiliated, right? That's kind of a bad thing to be. But in this case, it's talking about having a lack of arrogance or pride. Okay? So he should have a lack of arrogance or pride in his, finance, in his money, in his riches. And he should boast in that, that that he can have that last lack of arrogance. Because the reality is, is who gave him that wealth? Who gave him the finances? God did. 
And so what God gives, God can easily take away. And we've seen that over the last few months in our country. We've seen a lot of people who have worked really hard to build up businesses, who have worked hard to build up this stature in life. And through no fault of their own, through the pandemic that's going through, they've lost everything. Not because they quit working hard, not because they kept quit trying, but because it's a pandemic and things just happen sometimes. And so they've lost everything in the blink of an eye. They've been humbled. A lot of people in the world today have been humbled through God through these circumstances. So what that means is they become they we would put them now in that poor category, right? So now they get to rely on God and trust in God. So it's really not a bad place to be again. But it can be hard when you've worked so hard to do stuff and you think it's on you. In some ways, it might be less pressure on some people. Uh, as I've listened to different stories of athletes that come in and they have no money growing up and, they, and all of a sudden they're multimillionaires, they struggle with the, the finances and the people around them because everybody wants something that they have. And they, they don't like that part of the wealth is everybody's wanting something from them. They always want to take it away. They don't care about the person. It's, it's more of a, having that wealth is more of a um, weight on them than it is a joy to them. So everybody remembers Job, the book of Job, right? Well, I think, I think this is kind of an important part to read. So I'm going to read Job chapter 1 to you guys. I know it's a lengthy chapter, but I think it's important to kind of see what it's looking like here. So it says there was a man in the country in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people in the east. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send out an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for them for all of them. But Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan asked the Lord, answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and have possessions increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking, wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported. While the donkeys were plowing and the 
donkeys, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The servants swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported. A lightning storm struck the, from the heaven. It burned up all the sheep and the servants and devoured them. I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert, struck on the four corners of the house, and it collapsed. The young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. So here is a man who was rich by every measure, probably the way that we would think it was. He was close with God. He spent time with God and loved God. He had all the finances and the wealth that you could imagine. I mean, I think we'd all be happy with what Job had for our own lives, right? We all consider ourselves rich with what he has. And through a conversation with God and Satan, (coughs) God allowed Satan to make his test and took everything away that Job had earned and worked for his entire life in a moment's notice. I mean, just one of those things happening would be devastating, let alone to have as one finish another one keeps happening and keeps coming and, and taking it away. But at the end, Job chose to praise God for everything he has given him and everything he had taken away. Because he realized the true importance of and the value of the things in his life was they're meaningless without God. So do we praise God in all circumstances? When everything's going good and everything's going bad? When we're poor or when we're rich? I hope so. I think I fail at times. I think we probably all fail at times. I think sometimes it's easier to praise God or trust God when we're poor. But I think in our times of richness, I think sometimes we forget God. We forget that he's the one who gave it to us. So let's look at some applications for this passage. So first thing I'll look at some applications for the poor. So the first thing I can think of is be thankful for what you have and focus on God. Anything you have is better than having absolutely nothing because you're alive and you get to worship God. So if that's our true focus, be thankful for what we have and to to put our focus on God, we are doing amazing things in the service of God. Second thing, rejoice because you are rich in God. We're a child of God if we've accepted him. God wants no one to perish from him. So he allows us to come to him. He made a way for us. Jesus is coming back for his children. In Revelation 22.7 says, Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word in the, of the prophecy of this book. He's coming soon for us. He's coming to take us to him and not make us suffer much longer. Next thing is, don't believe that money will solve all your problems. 
I think we can all fall into that trap where we think if I just had, everything would be better. If I just had a little bit more, it'd be better. They did a study on lottery winners a while back. And they took lottery winners that were poor and they won millions of dollars. I think the average was within five years they were all back to having nothing because they didn't know how to manage the money that they were just given. They weren't prepared for the riches that they had and they squandered it. Money doesn't solve everything. In those people's lives, it makes it harder. God gives us wisdom over the money. We studied that last week in James 1.5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. God gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom how to handle money. He gives us wisdom how to make it without money. He gives us ingenuity and and how to build things that are just creative and make the job done without having to spend the money on it. God loves us in that. And the last thing on the application for the poor is we just got to go to ask God for our needs. God will take care of us. God wants to fulfill our needs. He wants to trust him for that. So on the other side, though, we have the applications for the rich. The first thing I thought of there was be thankful for what you have and focus on God. Be thankful for what God has given you, even if you consider yourself rich, and focus on God. I know it's the same thing as if it was poor, but that's a big key to what we need to do in life is be thankful for what we have. Be content and focus on God. The second thing is rejoice because God loves you and wants to adopt you as his child. Whether rich or poor, God loves you and wants you as his child. And there's nothing wrong with being rich or poor. Third thing is, don't be overconfident in your wealth. Don't put too much strain on that wealth. In Jeremiah 9, 23-24, it says, This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Don't be overconfident in your wealth. Don't be like like, uh, many people have. Be like Job, who wasn't really overconfident. Who, when everything fell apart, he said it was God's. He gave it to me. He can take it away. He'll provide for what I need. I think we can be overconfident and be striving to store up more and more in a storehouse so that we'll be taken care of at a later date. And then we know that we're taken care of in that moment. There's a lot of people right now in this world today that thought they had enough stored up and they've lost everything. Hopefully they've turned back to God and trusted Him for their needs today. But you can store up and store up and store up, but it can be taken away in a heartbeat. And the last thing is, ask God how to help others with the wealth he has given you. So ask for wisdom on what to do with the riches he has given you. He doesn't give us that just to store it for ourselves. I'm reminded of the, uh, the parable of the rich man who worked his fields and worked hard and 
toiled on the labor of it, and when he had he finished his plowing, he finished everything, he said, I have plenty. Now I can build storehouses and I can live forever on it. And God says, you foolish man. Today you're going to go, you're going to die and then who's going to get to spend your wealth? He didn't have to store up everything for himself. God was going to take care of him. God can use his wealth to help others. Now it doesn't mean that we should be upset about the stuff we have or feel guilty for what God's given us. God wants us to have things and God's given us things. But we have to pray and ask God for wisdom on how to use the things he's given us. How do we, how do we use the gifts and the talents and the, the brains that he's given us? How do we use that to glorify him and to spread his kingdom? Not to just store up for ourselves. I know people, when I went to seminary, there were people that spent a lot of time reading, a lot of time studying, but they held all that knowledge to themselves. They want to keep it there rather than going out and teaching others. That's not a good use of what God's given us, right? If we all just hold up what, what knowledge we know, we wouldn't feel good if there was something broken in here and I knew how to fix it, but I wasn't going to tell you because I wanted to hold that for myself, right? Would that make anybody happy if you knew that? I knew the answer, but I wouldn't tell you because I just didn't want to share my knowledge. But that's what we do a lot of times with the gifts God's given us. We hold on to those. We don't share what God's given us for the benefit of others. So as we close, I'm going to ask one last question and I'll answer it. What do we do? What do we do with what God's given us? What do we do if we're rich? What do we do if we're poor? What do we do if we're just children of God? Three things. Be thankful, rejoice, and trust God. And that's going to fit both categories. Whether we're rich or poor, be, be thankful, rejoice, and trust God. Because that's all we have to do. That's all we can do, right? We can be thankful for what He's given us. We can rejoice in what He's given us and rejoice that He is King and He loves us. And then we can trust Him to take care of all our needs. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Father, we just thank you for, for all the gifts you've given us, all the wisdom you've given us. We thank you for your word that you've shown us that we can honor you through it. Father, we pray that you just continue giving us wisdom as we read through it, Father, as we seek you out, Father. Pray that each of us would just come to you and just ask you for that wisdom that you just want to give us, Father. Father, I pray that, thank you that we can rejoice in you and know that you are there, you're the, that you're God and we know that you love us. Father, I pray for those who may not have come to know your salvation, Father, and they, they can't rejoice that, that they're your child. But Father, I pray that that person's heart will be broken today, Father, and they will just want to be your child. Pray that they will just seek you out, that they can hear your words. Father, I pray that we just trust you for all our needs. Trust you that you will be the one to take care of us. Trust you with our finances, with our wisdom, with our knowledge, with our, with our families, with our lives. Father, as we go through these scary times and these strange times in our world today, Father, I pray that, that we would continue to trust you, that you know what you're doing, that you are in control, and that, that your name will be glorified throughout the whole earth, Father. We praise you and love you. 